Marketing Week Meets, sponsored by Salesforce's intelligent one-to-one -one customer journeys. Helping you achieve higher revenue, happier customers, and lower costs. Hello and welcome to Marketing Week Meets, a monthly podcast in which we speak to a marketing luminary about their life, career and thoughts on the state of the marketing universe. Our criteria for interview subjects is this, people who have made a mark in marketing and of course have an opinion or two. Our guest on this podcast ticks both of these boxes. Linda Both is one of the world's best known marketers. As CMO of GE, she oversees marketing, brand and communications at the world's sixth biggest B2B firm, according to the latest Brand Z rankings. She is also one of the most celebrated, being named in 2017 Adweek's Grand Brand Genius, amongst many other accolades. Following stints at Porto Novelli, the American Museum of Natural History and Citigroup, she joined GE in 2004 as leader of employer marketing, rising through the ranks to become CMO in 2015. She is a great advocate for marketers being commercially minded, growth hunters as she puts it, something it seems she has carried through her career. She told Forbes in 2018, I did a carnival in the backyard and sold tickets when I was 10 and sold potholders door to door. So despite being a political science psychology major, I think I had something of the budding business person in me early on. Welcome, Linda. Thanks, Russell. It's great to be uh, talking to you. Where did uh, this entrepreneurial spirit come from? It's such a good question. I didn't grow up in a business family, if you will. I grew up with a mom who uh, was a librarian and a dad who uh, was and and still actually is a is a physician. So I, I didn't have some big you know business role model per se. And I don't even know, Russell, if I thought of it as entrepreneurial, and I certainly didn't think of it as business, but I loved the idea of creating things and of linking that with commerce. I would never have used those words when I was a kid, but in your rear view hindsight, kind of makes sense to me, whether it was, you know, creating potholders and going door to door, or trying to write a kid's book with a friend or put on a carnival. Again, you know, this is just kids stuff, right? It's like a lemonade stand, but perhaps there were some early seeds, or at least my today self looks back and says, that makes sense to me now. So I think that's about as good as I as I can do to make some sense of of uh, what a what a kid like me was doing. I was uh, busy playing soccer when I was uh, when I was ten. <laughs> I'm much healthier, I'm sure. So let me fast forward a little bit and yeah. uh, and take you into your career or the very beginning of your career in marketing. And what was it you did, as I mentioned in my uh, in my intro, that you did political science and psychology as a major at college? Yeah. Uh, not the perhaps most natural leap to marketing. So what was it that inspired you to get into marketing? Yeah, you know, I'll make two comments here. One is I had the fortune, and I really consider this fortune, of having uh, spent four years in a uh, liberal arts college and environment, and I was interested passionate, curious about a variety of things. Ultimately, that results in a major in political science. I, I, 
I still love political science or politics and in psychology, but I dipped into English and, and art history and many other things. And honestly, I when I look back and when I try to counsel people if the opportunity exists, and, and as I say, it's a privilege in many ways to have four years of just being taught to think, I feel very lucky to have had that. And I do think it was a springboard, as I just said, to, to thinking and being curious. More pointedly, I, I believe more on the psychology side than political science. You know, my interest in psychology was an interest, is an interest, if you will, in how people think and behave. And I think for, for marketers, uh, always, I was going to say marketers today, but, but I think this is, this is existential. I think it's always the case. Um, focusing on behavior, focusing on what people need and how to um, match that need with potentially something that that um, that you have is at the heart of of a lot of marketing. So I don't know if it was Preston. I, I think calling it that is 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 way too sophisticated. But I think there's linkage. And um, I, but I do when I take the step back, I think the broad opportunity to dive in and out of um, subjects that interested me has a lot of parallels to when you become a marketeer, you are looking at a, a wide range of products, services, in the case of my career, and I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit, from financial services to industry to culture, you know, you, you need to be able to um, uh, hover over something and, and then dive in, and those topics can, can really vary. I mean, it's behavioral science in many ways, isn't it, uh, marketing? Really, it's about it is. Human really inspirations, is. hopes, dreams, fears, and, and the opportunities that you see in any of that. Yeah, really well said. I think that's right. You've had a variety of different uh, jobs at different, very different companies, I think it's probably fair to yeah. say. Uh, Port and Valley, the American Museum of Natural History, Citigroup, and obviously GE for quite some time now. Yeah. Did you have a grand plan? Did, were you one of those people who sort of set out and thought, you know, I'm going to do this, this, this and this? Was that was? Is there anything that sort of binds those career choices together? You know, Russell, I want to meet somebody who's had a grand plan. It certainly wasn't me. I, uh, <laughs> I still this day don't think I have a grand plan. What motivated me, and, and then I'll get to the what I think is somewhat of a red thread, has always been a new challenge, a new industry, a new problem, um, and new people. And to me, the intersection, if you will, and it's very true at GE, but, but I think it has been, in, in, as I look backwards as well, has been this intersection of work that is kind of important and also takes hard work and rolling up your sleeves. I, I like that intersection. Um, I'm, I'm not as interested in the straight lines as my career seem, clearly indicates, right? Um, it's, it's been a windy river. Um, I, I find repetition, unfortunately, um, a little dull, even though I, there are certain types of repetition, habit-wise, et cetera, that I think is very important. But in terms of what has led me through this windy road, it has been curiosity, um, sort of a, a 
quest for um, finding something that is interesting that I can take apart and and hopefully find ways to to put it back together. So um, I admire um, people that have that began with that ladder and climbed it. I I, I my career has never looked like that ladder. Mm. I mean, you've been uh, sixteen years, I believe, at G now. Yeah, uh, that's right. So. What is it that's kept you there, given your seemingly innate desire to uh, to continue to test yourself and, and and seek new challenges? It's a great question. It would seem to defy what I just said, and the reason it doesn't is because GE sort of lives in in both the possible and the practical. And in my sixteen years here, I have had the opportunity, and it is really an opportunity, to work in so many different areas. I started my journey um, in GE corporate up in Connecticut, and I led um, internal communications, employee communications for the company. And it was a wonderful way to come into a very large company and sort of dive Russell into the, 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 the heartbeat of the culture right? Because that was what was so critical to understand. But it wasn't what my career had really been about, which was much more external marketing. So I was able to pivot inside GE from a job like that to NBC, which the broadcast network, which GE at the time owned, we no longer do, but it was part of the company for a long time, and take a CMO role for a a pure play digital company called iVillage that was within NBC, which was an absolutely amazing and hard opportunity for any number of different reasons, but it threw me into into digital, you know, um, just off the high dive in the middle of the night, right? Like just complete immersion and learning, rapid learning. And then when I came back to, to GE, I have been in a sequence of really varied roles, kind of culminating, if we want to call it that, um, in a portfolio today that includes communications and public affairs, that includes what I think is at the heart of what we're talking about today, which is marketing, um, and the facets with which we think about marketing. It includes learning and training and development, which is for for people who know GE, and I, I don't know how many of our listeners are students of GE, but basically it's a core part of how we think about our employees' value prop, right? We, we help train you, as well as the GE Foundation. So in a, in a single company, um, in a decade and a half, I've had half a dozen careers. Mm. I mean... You've just listed, and uh, I'm not even sure that you listed every single thing that you have ultimate oversight <laughs> of. How do you manage to, well, manage all of those different portfolios, divisions, areas of interest? I mean, that's that's a, anybody listening will be thinking, how the Dickens does she, uh, she manage to oversee so many things and be responsible for so many things? I mean, is there a process here? Is there is there a way of working with people? <laughs> So I'll, I'll, I'll give you what on a really good day works. And I will be the first to say that there are really good days 
when it all feels like it's working, at least to me. I hope it does somewhat to the people who are on my teams. And then there are days where I feel like it's not. And I, and I think that's just reality, right? You know, there, there are days when, um, when, when the music is playing and it's beautiful, and there are others where I think I ask myself the exact same question you just asked me. So, but let me stay on the positive, which is most of the time how I feel it it it, it works. So, um, I have great leaders in all of the areas that are in my remit. Can't do it without that. It's all about the talent, you know. As our as our CEO Larry Culp likes to say, uh, and I think this is actually a quote of Jim Collins, you know, get the right people in the right seats on the bus. So, you, you, talent's everything to me, everything. So it starts there. Um, but you can't just hire people, right? It's what's what's the runway you give them? How do you both help set goals, but also give runway and know when to dive in and when to dive out? So talent's everything to me. I, um, uh, you know, I'm not a process geek, as <laughs> perhaps uh, it sounds like on this podcast. Uh, I'm probably revealing that as I speak. But I've worked really hard at the discipline around when and where I dive deeply and, and keeping my priorities to a few and going as deep as I possibly can on those. And at any given time, those are going to change. You know, this year, 2020, um, you know, I have a couple priorities. One is the um, uh, transformation of what we're doing in learning. And another is to um, work uh, very hard, this is more with my marketing hat on, on GE's purpose and behavior as the company is um, uh, uh, transforming from a business point of view. So those sound really high level, right? And there's a hundred details and priorities amongst them. But if I try, and I do try, to kind of elevate at the beginning of the week, at the beginning of the day, and sort of look at my calendar and say, is my calendar and the way I'm spending my time reflective of those priorities? On a good day, it is. And I feel great. And then there are days where I let my calendar run me, and that's not a good day. And that's not good for me, and it's not good for my teams, and it's not good for the company. So it's I feel like it's a constant journey and I admire people who do it well. I, it's one of the things I always ask when I'm meeting people who I think are great leaders, which is like, how do you make it work, right? How do you literally make it work? I think that will resonate with a lot of people listening. It doesn't matter if they're the CMO of GE or work for a small and medium-sized company. The, the line there about letting the diary or calendar manage you and your day it will uh, will speak very loudly to a lot of people. It certainly does yeah. me anyway. Um, yeah, let me just, no, no, no. It's it's wherever you are. I agree. Yeah. Well, just let me take you back a little bit. Um, you mentioned it there in your answer about employer marketing, internal marketing. I think it's called different things in different yeah. companies. Yeah. yeah. How it clearly is important to GE. Uh, I hear a lot, certainly amongst marketers in the UK, that there isn't the focus perhaps on it that there should be. Why is it important to treat your employers as customers and and and, and potential advocates? You know, perhaps, Russell, perhaps, because I spent a couple years 
doing that, right? That was my job for a couple years. I, I, it gives me a special appreciation. I don't know. But whether your company is 100 people or, in, in our case, a couple hundred thousand people, if you don't have the, the credibility, the support, the belief, the, the, the will inside, and people don't um, understand what the goals are and what the company's trying to achieve and, and in marketing speak, the narrative and how we're going to get there, I think there's a huge, huge missed opportunity. I mean, some of it is, you know, kind of the, 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 the anecdotal, right? You know, your employees are your best ambassadors, brand ambassadors, et cetera. And I, and I really believe that. But I actually think it, it ladders up to people will um, give more of themselves They'll work harder. They'll um, uh, uh, they will be your translators. And then the other part, which I think is just true today, is the distinction. If there was once one, and I and I think we could agree there was once a line between internal and external, has all but vanished. And we can blame or credit social media, but when we are communicating with our um, large number of employees, I presume we're communicating with the world. And that's not out of paranoia. That's just out of reality. And uh, so I think this this artifice of, well, I'm going to say this, you know, in an ad, or I'm going to say this on social media or in a press release or at an event, and I'm going to say something different inside is, is, is lunacy. And I think the other thing is, you know, to not begin for, for our folks at GE who, who give morning, noon, and night and are so proud, so proud of the work they do and the impact it has in the world, for them not to be the first ones to hear about stuff, I, I think you lose their hearts and, and souls a bit. You've had a lot of uh, experience at both business to business and business to consumer. What are the main differences between the two in terms of the job of marketing? You know, I've spent years saying that there are no differences, that um, when you are marketing and communicating to somebody, they are a person, they are a human, and whether they run a utility or an airline, or they are, um, you know, just getting up in the morning, you know, what you have to do as a marketeer is appeal to what they're interested in, in a way that's engaging. And I still believe that. But I'm going to add a few nuances. I think that to be in B2B, uh, it's both easier and harder. Easier in the sense that when you're in a company, and I'll obviously use GE as an example here, when our customers make decisions, these are not decisions about what they're going to have for lunch necessarily or what soda they're going to choose in the grocery. I'm sure they're making those decisions too, but they're making a decision about a purchase often that will um, last for many years. So the stakes are high, really high. These are multi uh, thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. And it's interesting because I think it can be easy sometimes to dismiss B2B and say, well, well, really it's not about marketing. And I think the exact opposite is true. 
I think if, as we look at the industries we're in, healthcare, aviation, um, uh, uh, the the gas and and renewable businesses, um, if we don't find a way to make that connection, um, you know, we're at the short end of the stick. We may do it a little bit differently, or we may not. And that's where I think the the good marketing is good marketing. Now, we have at GE, and forgive me, I, I, I don't mean to just talk about GE. We can talk anywhere you want. It's just a good point of reference for me. We are blessed with 100 and nearly 30 years of brand awareness. So people know GE. And a lot of our marketing brings to life our people, our technologies, and the red thread of innovation that has been true for the company since Thomas Edison was our founder. So, you know, you, we, we have something that is very um, real in the company, this idea of uh, not just innovation, but figuring out what the world needs and, and then building that. Um, and I think that translates across so-called B2B and so-called B2C. But, but I think to, to throw them together without kind of taking that next step next click, if you will, down and saying, okay, let's focus on these audiences and and their inherent needs and the purchase cycle, et cetera, is is to be too flippant. It's interesting what you were saying. I mean, maybe this is just true in the UK, but there is a narrative that perhaps B2B marketers, uh, it's a less exciting place, a less for want of a better way of putting it, um, sexy place to be, uh, uh, B2C as all or everything going for it. Right. Is that something that you've heard and what would be your reaction to that kind of line? I, I, I certainly I certainly think that's, you know, that's out there or certainly I've heard it. Obviously, I, for 16 years, have disagreed with that. And But the reason I've disagreed is I actually don't, what, what has kept me at GE and what continues to not just keep me here, but excite me is this idea that we are a, company and a brand that does work that really matters in the world. We build things that help folks get on their first flight, get healthcare in remote areas, um, uh, get electricity in very remote parts of this world. And to me, I can't think of a more exciting thing to be involved with marketing. So I I think that, um, so I obviously personally don't believe it. I think that there is a sexiness that can come from um, a little bit of the, 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 the buzz, what, what have you, of uh, consumer brands. And I um, am fortunate to sit on the board of, of one of them, Duncan Brands. And it's, it's a wonderful company and a, a, a wonderful brand. Um, so I, I, I love the appeal of that. But I don't think it's at the – I don't think it's either or. I actually think what GE does is sexy as hell. If I was writing a headline, that would be it. <laughs> Moving on, though, uh, it, and just dwelling a little a bit, I, I appreciate what you were saying that you don't necessarily see, but for some nuances that you've explained, that much different between B2B and B2C. But is there anything a B2B marketer has in their armory because of their responsibilities that perhaps they could teach 
B2C marketers because it's usually, again, the narrative is usually the other way around. There's loads that B2B can learn from B2C, but what can B2C learn from B2B? I think that there is something to having to work through longer cycle businesses, having to work what is often B2B to C, or sometimes it's even B to B to B to C. Take our aviation business, right? We sell to um, air framers who sell to carriers who sell to consumers. So, you know, thinking through that, right, GE to Airbus to, to, you know, United or whomever to then the consumer, I think requires a level of patience, which as marketers, I think we sometimes can be in short supply of. Um, myself included, by the way. It's not, I don't. I don't have a. You know. In fact, I think a lot of people would describe me as a little bit impatient. So I think you know that is really important. I think that B two B marketers, let's just call them business marketers for short, have to think really hard about the game that they're playing, how they're going to win, and what the. Um, what that overall trajectory looks like. We still have pipeline and sales funnels and acquisition and all of those things. And then the other point I guess I would make, and I, I you know, this all sounds like it falls under the bucket of we have to work harder, and I, I don't necessarily mean it that way, um, is I think sometimes searching for the insight um, takes a, a different level. So, you know, for GE, we are always centered on um, the, the impact we have in the world. Wh- whatever words we use to express that. Years ago, it was, we bring good things to life. It became imagination at work. We're in the throes of thinking through how to best express it in, in today's world. And, you know, you'll hear more of that coming from us in, in this year. But however we express that, it, it gets to a, a truism about us, about our DNA. And I think sometimes as a B2B company, you, you it may be a little less obvious. Um, that's generalization. And yet I think the, um, I was going to say agony, but let's call, let's, let's say process mm. <laughs> of getting to that insight can really sharpen your skills. In terms of, you've mentioned before, GE is generally considered quite a progressive company, innovation and technology, very much part of the current journey you i know are a big advocate for digital and and use of digital media how do you sort of avoid though i've heard it described as the shiny new thing syndrome that you use digital media for digital media's sake How how do you make sure that it sort of fits with the strategic objectives and isn't just playing with stuff yeah yeah it's a really good question I'm pretty clear-eyed on this one. Um, So for me, I go back to what we talked about a few minutes ago, which is what's your DNA as a company, right? What's your, however we want to express that, what's your purpose? What's your, you know, what's true when when nobody else is there? What's the vision, et cetera, your, your, um, you know, USP, however you want to talk about it. And for us, innovation has courses through the, the company. Um, and has for 130 years. So, you know, you can't just stand up, at least in my mind, Russell, and and bang the drums and say, look at us, we're innovative. I think that's, everybody says they're innovative. And and in some ways, I guess everybody is, um, just at different levels, scales, etc. 
So one of the ways over the years that I've tried hard to bring to life the fact that GE is innovative and frankly still relevant and still innovating is the places and the voices and the ways in which we come to life. And that has brought us not just to what we say, but where we say it. And I have no agita or, or anything like that with being a brand that was an extremely early adopter on many platforms. One of the first brands on Instagram, one of the first brands on Snapchat, um, you know, one of the first brands to embrace uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, um, an innovator when it came comes, I should say, to um, uh, some media partnerships. And the reason I, I, I don't pause on that, nor do I have great concerns about, you know, pivoting from one to another as appropriate, is uh, I think it's it's just a way of of demonstrating that GE is a company that's innovative and relevant today by appealing in the right places to to people who perhaps didn't grow up with GE. So um, now look, does has that ever taken us someplace where you know we've we've gone on a platform that hasn't been sustaining? You bet. But these tend to be, particularly when you do things early, they tend to be pretty small bets, small in terms of money and small in terms of risk. So, you know, I'll use Instagram as, as an example. When we went on Instagram, you know, 10 years ago, whenever, really basically when it, right after it launched, um, we, we, there wasn't a paid product on Instagram. We went on and posted images of our beautiful machinery out in the world, sort of the, the nobility of, of, um, of industry. And, uh, and we were careful to pick good photographers who could bring this to life. And we had a terrific following. And I never really cared if we had the biggest following. I just wanted people who loved technology and innovation as much as we did to see GE at work in the world. So I use that example. That's a good one. Um, and it's been lasting. But you know what? What if it hadn't worked? Would have been okay. Yeah. When, when you say demonstrating, do you mean to potential employees, potential clients? I'm really interested in what you were saying there about demonstrating to people that you are yeah, innovative. Yeah, great and- question. Yeah. So to me, it's, it's um, in a case like that, it is multi-audience. It is... Um, uh, employees and future employees. Remember, when you have a workforce as large as ours, you know you're you're always thinking about you know how do you get how do you keep talent, how do you get and recruit great new talent that have an abundance of opportunities with which to you know spend their time. Um, GE is a company that has um, a very large number of retail investors, one of the highest percentages of retail stockholders uh, of any company, something like 39% of our share owners are are individuals. So, you know, that connection with the individual is very important. And it sort of goes back a little bit to our B2B, B2C conversation, which is 
while I can't um, say that all of our business decision makers are on platforms like Instagram, I think increasingly as the world is more digital, um, more and more people are exposed to things not necessarily just in the Financial Times or the Guardian or the Wall Street Journal, but also on social media on, and on digital. So it's as much about, I mean, obviously the media would convey the message, but your use of media is the message in in that's some right. in some ways in terms of what it says about you. That's exact. That's well said. Yeah. Marketing Week meets sponsored by Salesforce, helping you to connect to your customers in a whole new way. You've been in marketing for a significant period of time already. What would you say if there was one, maybe a couple of things? that you say have changed uh, in your time? If, if there's a couple of things you could identify for me. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the, the biggest, um, and in some ways the most important, I think, is uh, data, personalization, attribution. And I, I think that our industry is rightly, in many ways, in love with the possibility of, of data, um, because it allows all of us to more accurately deliver a message to the right person at the right time in the right way. And who wouldn't want to do that? Right? Who wouldn't want to do that? It's the ultimate efficiency ROI. If I'm flying Delta tonight, I'm not, but it's a good example, and my flight is delayed and Delta is able to send me, Linda Boff, a message saying, I'm sorry, your flight was delayed. Why don't you go over to Duncan and have a coffee while you're waiting? Again, I'm half making this up, but Delta does do a very nice job on on uh, empathetic sort of digital marketing. Why wouldn't I do that? And I think um, in the end, what are we talking about? We're talking about trying to influence somebody's behavior, choices, perception with a message. We've all been doing that for a really long time, right? (laughs) It goes back to, I was a psych major, right? Behavioral science. You said it a few minutes ago. But if you have the ability to use technology and data, and most importantly, the insights that come off that, to do it in a way that is more personalized, has less waste, why wouldn't you do it? Now, you and I both know there is a line. I don't want to be sold. If I buy um, a couch from a company, I don't really want to be getting messages to buy another couch for the next six months. Because chances are, I'm not going to be buying couches every day. So I think there's also the human element of how do you intersect with people in the right way without annoying the heck out of them. But the ability to understand our own data, let alone the data on platforms, and do it in a responsible way, in a way that is, dare I say, delightful, is absolutely what many of the dialogues I'm in and I think other marketers are in. 
my hope, and maybe on this one, you're going to have to just call me old fashioned, and that'll be your headline. But, you know, my hope is that we don't forget in the end of the day, there's a person at the other end of that data who is receiving that. And it still has to snap on in a way that makes sense. Clearly, there is an upside to data. As you quite rightly point out, it uh, allows you to be more precise in your targeting and when done correctly, meaningful in your personalization. But there's obviously some downsides to it as well or solely relying on it. And um, attribution you mentioned there, that's that's a, a hot debate, certainly in the UK and I suspect the US. Yeah. It'll give you a measure of success, but perhaps not tell you the full story. No. Is it is is you know what 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 would you say are the limitations of of relying on attribution as a measure of success? So so look, attribution is in one of the holy grails in terms of what will help all of us. And at the same time, I think our industry needs to have agreed upon sets of measurable ways that we are. Uh, talking that we're discussing a set of metrics that's codified so that my metrics and the metrics of another company, even another industry, ladder up and we can call something true or we can call something false. And while I, I believe, Russell, that the industry wants this very badly and there is good movement in that direction, I, I think we still haven't quite gotten there and that will help everybody yeah more meaningful measures of success um will not only i suppose benefit everybody but also benefit the impact and influence of marketing internally as well i'm sure you'll agree uh, in 100%. terms of yeah i mean in terms of um I'm, I'm sure you get asked this question a lot um if you can distill whatever answers you give to whoever's asking but if a a, a junior marketer somebody just beginning in their career was to ask you somebody who's um, had a great success in their career for a, a bit of advice a bit of advice that will help them progress and perhaps replicate some of the successes that you've had what would that advice be well, you know, I have two uh, children in their 20s, and at the moment, both are, are in the industry, so to speak, different parts of the industry, but both are in some form or another of marketing media brand. We'll, we'll see how long that lasts. So I'll, I'll give you some of the advice I, I give them as well as other young people who I talk to, uh, which I love doing. I think a lot of what I have um, achieved, if you will, been fortunate enough to be part of has come from sometimes making the less safe choice, going into an industry, a company, a space that I didn't know a lot about and having to figure it out. I'm a really big fan of resourcefulness, the figure it out gene. I think that is can't be taught. It has to be learned and and probably learned many times i continue to learn it so i think i think there's almost nothing that replaces resourcefulness uh curiosity is a close cousin and lifting your head up from whatever it is you're doing whether where you're marketing what company it is what product you might be involved with and looking to the sides invaluable. I'm a product in many ways, Russell, of moving from agency life 
to culture, to financial services, to industry, a stopover in digital. And I like to believe that's cumulative, I guess, because I I didn't set out, as we talked about with the, the you know, the game board, <laughs> knowing what the final stop on that game board was. I consider that to be part of the great journey, not to mention a hell of a lot of fun, right? To kind of, you know, zig when others zag, um, work hard. I, it's, it's, you know, age old, right? But work hard, um, get smart at something, be really good, be a resource on something where you can add value and begin to develop some expertise and look to, um, look to other people. I, I feel so unbelievably lucky, not just the people I've worked for, but the people who've worked for me, colleagues, people I've met in the industry. Um, just poke your head out and uh, have new experiences and meet new people, which you know sounds like a Hallmark greeting card as I say it, but actually I find it pretty magical sound uh, collection of advice but we, before we move on I just wanted to just go back to what you were saying about your children being in marketing which um, I find really interesting how do you stop yourself I don't know saying oh I wouldn't do it like that or <laughs> how do you know I stop <laughs> well, myself <laughs> well perhaps you don't uh, no I do I do um you know I uh the truth of the matter is it is um a special joy it really is to have uh, a child, I, I don't know if I can call 24 and a 26-year-old children, come and tell you what they're doing in a space you might know something about, right? They could have done anything. They could have written a book or been a computer scientist or you know worked in fast food, and I, w- I wouldn't have the same ideas. So to be able to try, and it is, like I sit on my hands and I try to close my mouth, listen to what they're doing and wait for them to ask for advice. Uh, do I sometimes, you know, run in there? Sometimes, but but I try pretty hard and 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 to just enjoy the ride of it. And I love hearing the hearing how their minds work. And honestly, you know, I learn from them half the time. I'll get them on the phone afterwards. <laughs> Compare notes, see if we're um, remotely saying what they think. <laughs> um. On your career, you've um, had, as I mentioned, obviously, you've, you've had uh, a, there's a lot of variety in it. If you were to point to one single achievement, something that you can look back on and think, I did really well there, what would that be? I don't think it's going to be what you expect me to say. Um, so I would point to the last two years. And the reason, Russell, I'll point to the last two years is that it hasn't been an easy two years. GE is a wonderful company, but part of being a company that's been around for a long time is you have peaks and you have valleys. And and we have had a challenging couple years in terms of uh, our stock price. We've had some leadership changes, things that you, you wouldn't expect from a large company. And I wouldn't trade these last two years for anything. It is wonderful to be at a company when um, it's blue skies and everything's moving forward. It's a great feeling. It is a better feeling, I promise you, to be at a company that has, you know, sort of faced into some tough times and then start to, we're not there yet, start to see 
that turn and feel as though I've played, I think, a very small role in in how that is happening. There is no better feeling. And I've learned so much from how leaders behave when things are challenging, how you show up, what you say, um, what you don't say, how to, you know, when, when, when you're not feeling your best, how to try to motivate people. I've had, as I said before, um, you know, there are days I feel like I'm doing it well. There are days I feel like an abject failure. But to sit here now, I can tell you there is no better feeling. And I, I, I would say I'm, I'm probably more proud today to be a GE employee than I've ever been before. Imagine fast forward many years, um, uh, many years, uh, and you've 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 finished your career in marketing. What would your legacy be? What would you like your legacy to be? If if, if you if you're thinking about what people might remember you for, what would you like it to be? I, I think it's that um, I helped people in their careers um, grow, become better. Uh, be challenged, ask some questions. Um, I, I've gotten to work with many people, um, many of whom are still at GE and, and some are thriving in other places. And I'm really proud of all of them, whether they're here or elsewhere, if I feel like I've I've contributed in, in some way. So I do think it's it's a little cliche, but but really it is about the people. If I've inspired anybody or you know helped somebody think of something a slightly different way or approach something a little differently, that's that's a that's a great legacy to me. It might be a cliche, but inspiring and helping people seems to be a pretty strong and worthwhile legacy to leave. Linda Both, thank you very much for your time today. Russell, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. You have been listening to Marketing Week Meets with me, Russell Parsons, and producer Tim O'Donoghue, sponsored by Salesforce and brought to you by Bauer London Creative. You can subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify, where you can listen to previous interviews with the likes of Alina Santos, Sil Sala, Sarah Benison, and Gareth Helm. Until next time, goodbye. Marketing Week Meets, sponsored by Salesforce's intelligent one-to-one customer journeys helping you achieve higher revenue, happier customers, and lower costs.